And welcome, friends, to the Generations Broadcast. Kevin Swanson, your host with you today. And today, one of the most interesting conversations I think we will have or have had for a long time on this program. We are going to talk about the idea of separatism versus Puritanism, but uh, but apply it to what we do with our families, where we live. Does God call us to live in the big city? Does he call us to live in the rural areas? Are we called to be separate? To what extent are we called to be separate? Come out from among them, be separate, saith the Lord. And yet, we're also called to disciple the nations. So there are all these things that converge in our minds. We want to be faithful to the commission that our Lord has given to us. I wrote a book called The Second Mayflower back in the early 1990s. By the way, I still have a few copies of that if anybody would like a copy. But uh, I grapple with the question of pilgrims, separatists versus Puritans. And how do we do that? How do we disciple a nation? Is it better to move towards localism, a county that is more discipleable, especially when you've got a nation or entire Western civilization that uh, has turned against God, that has turned against Christ, and we become a civilization in decline? And so, you know, somebody's written a book called Epoch, the Rise and Fall of the West. I'm concerned that we not abandon this world. We're still in it, though not of it. And uh, so how do we disciple? What's the strategy moving on? Do we continue in San Francisco discipling the city of San Francisco? Or or is our concern more, is our priority more, the safety of our family, the preparation of our children, the homeschooling, the development of Christian community? Is Is that... the priority for us. Now, some of this ties into calling. Obviously, Jonah was called to Nineveh. The calling was obvious. He was uh, resisted the calling at first and was consumed by a fish, and then you know the rest of the story. He is called to Nineveh. And are we called, are you called to a ministry in downtown Detroit, or are you called to a ministry in which you will be primarily discipling your children as you sit in the house, as you walk by the way, as you rise up, as you lie down. So here lies the tension, and it seems that more and more people are interested in moving into areas in which they have more of an opportunity for family economy, more of an opportunity for family discipleship, more of an opportunity to disciple a smaller county that uh, might be more interested in the principles of God's Word working its way into the warp and the woof of the county government versus living in a liberal state in which you don't have much of an opportunity at all to uh, to disciple, and you are increasingly resisted, and there are points at which people do dust off their feet and move on, again, depending on calling. All right, so those are the issues, and I'm not saying there's a simple answer to this. I do believe that different families and different individuals are subject to different callings in their lives. So, Today we're going to talk with Josh Abatoy, who is a principal in the organization RidgeRunnerUSA.com. And uh, I've been looking into this for a long time. Now, the Abatoys, Josh's father, actually played the Philippines Canticle at my wedding. What was that, 32 years ago? So, and I think, Josh, you were probably, I don't know, two, three, four years of age at the time. Uh, but here we are, some 32 years later, and you're involved in this important project. RidgeRunnerUSA.com. So, Josh, welcome. Good to have you with us today. Thank you, Kevin. Good to be here. 
Give us a sense for why you set out to do this. In some respects, this is timing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, the idea was born out of discussions that I was having with my dad a couple years back in 2020. During the throes of COVID, I was uh, working white-collar job in Houston. I saw the fragility of human society around me, um, mm. you know, at the flip of a switch. My church was closed for a certain amount of time, and, you know, me and my kids had to wear masks whenever we went out into the public, and all of these things that, you know, just part of normal human life were shut down by our government. And at the same time, you'd go out to the country, to rural areas, and, you know, it was like life had never stopped. Yeah, it was pretty much our life here in Elbert County, Colorado. No masks, you know, our churches continued to meet, and the county sheriff met regularly with the pastors. And I guess my initial point was that localism really added a lot for us, especially during the COVID years. Mm-hmm. And, and people who were in the cities noticed <laughs> the freedom that the people in rural areas had. And actually, I saw something really particular happening. I was in a kind of a you know, faithful, conservative, Reformed Baptist Church in Houston. And I saw myself and, you know, several other professional men and their families buying rural property. Um, A lot of them established homesteads. Some of them got remote work that then became permanent and they moved out to the country. And I sort of, my, my hunch was, I'm seeing this in kind of one little pocket of the world this is happening all over the place. Yes, yes. Um, and so, you know, I, acting on that convic- conviction, I bought a lot of property in a rural area when I had, had the means to do so. And then my dad and I, you know, we we did a couple of real estate deals that kind of showed the thesis that showed that this was happening. And then uh, Ridge Runner, my dad's a very experienced real estate operator, but Ridge Runner, the idea was sort of me telling my dad, hey, you know, why not go raise a fund and scale what you're already doing into sort of a more systematic program and build some advertising around it and really try to intentionally attract these kinds of people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when it comes to timing, you might you might be tempted to think, well, you know, that that wave has passed. You know, the people were moving out during COVID, but now, you know, people are going back to the office. The, 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 that moment has passed. But all the indications are that it has not passed and actually that we've only seen the tip of the iceberg. Um, so there was a study by Upwork last year that came out that said, so far, 5 million people have relocated from cities to small towns or wow. rural areas. Wow. wow, wow. 5 million and 20 million still want to. Okay. Okay. So, so there's the market. And it come, ties into you know what's going on in the cities. Uh, who wants to live in a $1.2 million condo in San Jose when you can do so much more with that? And as you said, telecommuting. Wow. A huge opportunity for dad to be more accessible to the kids, you know, no more two hour commute and just, you know, hey, we need that time. And and that time is precious when it comes to, you know, investing in the walk along, talk along discipleship program with our children. Absolutely. And, it, you know, there's all these other factors that are hitting at the same time, right? You had you had COVID and then you had the the riots in the summer of 2020. A lot of people are very focused on just the getting back to a healthier way of living, maybe having some space to do some farmsteading. We've had all these, you know, items in the news about insecurity in our food supply, right? There's all of these factors are sort of combining to 
create this like deep felt instinct in a lot of people to go get land, to go become a little bit more self-sufficient, live a more natural life, and then really build a community with people that they share, not necessarily that they go to the same church or that they have all the same views on particulars of theology, but but at a minimum, people that they share some basic values with to where they can sort of have a productive community together. So, so we're, you know, and, and the remote work enables that, right? I mean, 30 years ago, developers built master planned communities around big cities, and they made them as broad in their appeal as possible. We want this to, we don't want any values infused into this master planned community, they would have thought at the time, we want it to appeal to every potential buyer. With remote work and the, you know, incre- I mean, there's, and there's a lot of permutations. Some people work from home all, all week. Some people go into the office once a day. But with all of that flexibility, people are much more interested now in the community that they live in. They'll, they'll order a lot of other things in their lives about, around being in the right community. And at the same time, the American people generally have very different ideas than they've ever had before about what does the good life look like. And it, it gets down all the way to the very basic stuff. You know, what books are on the shelf in the public library down the street? You know, what does your, what does your community's parade look like? Right. Like those sorts of things matter. And Americans increasingly have very different answers about those sorts of things. Even something as basic as like, is your community, are your people the kind of people who tend to have a lot of kids? If they do, you're going to want to be in a community that has more uh, child focused amenities. Right. You're going to want to be in a child friendly area. I mean, there's increasing parts of a lot of our cities that are very unfriendly to people with children. And they don't, you know, the, I mean, the only place to go out to eat is these cramped little dive bars and things like that, that, that aren't really workable for families. Mm-hmm. On, the, on the flip side, um, I was recently in, in Moscow, Idaho, and, uh, you know, down there on Main Street, I think they've got like a, it's like a restaurant, maybe a little microbrewery, and they've got this massive playscape attached to it. And so I, you know, I was up there and there's all these kids playing in the playscape and mom and dad are in there having a burger and a, a brew, um, you know, while the kids play. And it, it just struck me that, that, you know, this isn't the kind of thing you tend to see in downtowns because most downtowns are built around childless 30-somethings. Yeah. Um, so people are recognizing that, that their communities could look different than what they currently look like in major cities, and they're wanting something different. I've been watching cultures for a long time. It's sort of one of my interests and I think something of a calling that God has placed on me, and it seems to me that the nations are much more unstable and much more insecure than they ever have been. And I think intuitively most people know that our economies are very fragile, extremely fragile. The everything bubble is, you know, I mean, you know, you're on an edge when that bubble is, you know, you've blown that bubble up to 27 feet in diameter and you just know something's going to burst. So you've got the economic problems, the social problems. You've got international tensions, unlike anything we've seen in our lifetime. I talked about the doomsday clock on a recent program, but just the fact that that's down to 90 seconds. You know, I mean, obviously, that's the liberal scientists that are looking at that. But just the general feel of a nation is that there's a higher insecurity in terms of mass diseases, pandemics. Obviously, you know, we just come out of three or four years of that horrendous, nightmarish experience. And uh, on top of that, just the nuclear saber rattling coming from North Korea, Iran, China, Russia. Okay, 
this is called insecurity. This is called instability of entire national systems. I get it. Why parents who want to raise their children want to raise their children in a calm community where, you know, they have opportunities and uh, they can build community and, you know, they can build their church community and relationships and you have more opportunities, more freedom than you would in the big cities. I get it. Yeah, I mean, you know, and just to belabor the point a little further, I mean, you've, you've probably seen this. There's documentaries about actually the very wealthy and the extent to which they're going right now to uh, basically prep, right? I mean, the, the Peter Thiel and scores of other billionaires from the States are buying uh, prepper communes in New Zealand and things like that. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, there's uh, old nuclear silos, missile silos in Kansas that are being retrofitted into uh, safe rooms uh, in case of nuclear fallout. And people are paying millions of dollars to get, you know, a room like a condo in these missile silos. Mm-hmm. So, some of that almost gets a little silly sometimes, but you know, there, yeah. there's, there's, there's some wisdom in the instincts of the herd. And I, I think what we're kind of seeing is that the herd is sensing the insecurity yeah. and, yeah. It, and it's, it's the very rich and it's the middle class. I mean, it's, it's, it's everybody. Um, now, 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 of course we don't respond to the spirit of fear, right? I mean, if, if we're just running into these communities in a spirit of, fear, and I've seen that happen with some of my brothers and sisters, it hasn't been healthy, but if we're just, you know, moving with a sense of calling, and that's the issue that God is calling us to this place to number one, disciple our children, because that's our priority, build a family economy, dad spending more time with the children in the home, and you know, added benefit, we've got a church community around us that's accessible. It's not highly you know, commuter churchy, but more we're all there in that community. And on top of that, we do still have an opportunity to make more of an impact with our county sheriff than we do with the president of the United States. I just don't have an extra $400 million laying around for a campaign fund. So, you know, we're, we're finding that, that this situation actually might be more doable for a faithful Christian family. So, I, you know, that's, it's a calling-driven thing. But how would a family know that they're called to this kind of thing, Josh? Yeah. I think you look at the circumstances in your life that are probably providentially there. I I think every, I mean, every Christian parent, uh, father and and mother who are in a um, a city that that is very hostile to the discipleship that they're trying to um, lead in their in their children's lives, I think they ought to take and and they have the means and ability to plug into to a healthier community, I think they need to take a really hard look and say, you know, are my present circumstances really optimal for, for the calling on our family? And, you know, to something you said earlier, the Bible has very clear categories for times when it's appropriate to shake the dust off your sandals. Yeah. It also does clearly charge parents and, you know, the, the sort of maybe the normal Christian life or the predominant approach is you know, Christians discipling their children, evangelizing their neighbors. And when it comes to that sort of activity, not every community is created equal. There's going to be places where people can fulfill that calling more clearly. So if you find yourself kind of isolated in a, in a big city, fighting values wars the second you leave your front door, um, you have the means to move to a different type of place and be part of building a, a healthy community. And there's nothing, you know, there's no clear 
providential calling on your life to stay where you are, I, I think you ought to give it serious consideration. And, you know, I, I frankly, I don't know how any faithful Christian with kids is staying in the cities by default at this stage, some of the major blue area cities. I mean, if, you know, if you've really got an open mind to what your kids are being exposed to just every day when you leave your front door, you've really got to be taking a hard look at, you know, at, at what those circumstances are. So that, that's what I would, I would suggest. And, you know, I think that one of the, one of the daunting factors oftentimes is, you know, where will I go? I don't have a logical place to move. I don't know if there's going to be a community and that's part of what Ridge Runner wants to try to solve. You know, it's kind of a collective action problem, right? Yeah. We know there's a bunch of people who want to move out to the country, but they don't want to move out into the middle of nowhere and not have friends and neighbors and a church and all the rest of the stuff that we need. We need that. We can't live alone in the wilderness. That's not a typical Christian life either. And so what Ridge Runner is trying to do is sort of plant a flag and attract people and solve that collective action problem by basically, you know, setting up a flashing light and say, hey, consider coming here, you know, okay. and there will be many of you coming here. And, you know, look, it's not, this is not a compound or something. We're not, obviously we can't restrict our land sales to do a religious test on those sales, but we can affirmatively advertise to the kinds of people that we hope come. And, uh, you know, and we can, we can affirmatively try to gather at least a critical mass of, um, Christians and other people who can sort of share those social values and, and have a neighborhood together. Speaking of Josh Abatoy from RidgeRunnerUSA.com right now, give us a sense of what you're doing right now. Nuts and bolts. What's what's the project that you're working right now, Josh? Yeah, so Ridge Runner bought um, a couple different large farms in south central Kentucky around a town called Burksville, Kentucky. Uh, this is on the banks of the Cumberland River about uh, two hours northeast of Nashville. And this is this is just beautiful country. I mean, it's some people call it the Small Smokies. It's a, it's a region where there's hills that are about 400 feet tall, rolling hills with really beautiful deep forests. There's water everywhere. There's two world-class lakes nearby. There's the Cumberland River. And then all, almost every farm has creeks and springs and and all of wow. that. And the wildlife, of course, and the fishing is, is just amazing. The, the land is very fertile. So there's a lot of, um, it's actually a lot of Mennonites in, in kind of in this region who are doing farming, you know, cattle, hay, corn, soy, that sort of thing. But yeah, it's, it's, it's just a very healthy rural community. The people are nice. It's not a rich area, but it is a very um, well kept up area. People are predominantly farmers maybe hobby farmers, but it's a safe area. It's culturally very conservative. It feels a bit like Mayberry when you go there. Um, and, and the interesting the part of the reason we started at Kentucky was, you know, in the last three years, we saw places like Tennessee, Idaho, Florida, like triple in value, you know, yeah. from 2020 right. until today, right. just skyrocketed. Phenomenal. Yeah, more bubble, Kentucky, more, more bubble. Yes, yes. K Kentucky is very similar to Tennessee and some other great areas, but it's a little bit under the radar. We could get into some of the factors for that, but, but it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's seen some value growth, but much closer to sort of the national average and not um, as bubbly and frothy. And so we're seeing deals on land in Kentucky that we haven't seen for four years in Tennessee. And to put it in really absolute terms, and I, I 
if your listeners are coming from Colorado or California, they should probably like make sure they're sitting down to hear this. But but you can buy a beautiful lot, three quarters of an acre with direct river frontage where you literally can fish off of your back deck. Um, you can buy that lot for 45K wow. in a Ridge Runner property. And this mm-hmm. is like a world-class premier river. You know, you might have views of a bluff on the other side of the river and you can catch trout and all sorts of beautiful fish. And, you know, you can put your boat in the river and sail down to Nashville or, you know, the Mississippi, even the ocean from there. And I, I actually don't think there's not many places in the country where you can get land like that on a pristine river at that price point. So it's it's a very good absolute value. If you're coming from a major city and you're selling your, you know, ranch style house in San Jose for $2 million, I mean, you, you, you'll find that your money goes quite far out here in Burksville. Um, you can build a beautiful custom home and, and all the rest. So, so we're, we're buying this land. We're, um, we're looking for land that obviously we want to get good deals so that we can give good values to our cut to the customers. We're um, making sure that we get things like fiber optics in place. We want to, we're not building, but we're getting all of the lots to completely build ready. So, you know, you, you buy your land, you know, find a builder and we can try to help you find a builder. And then, you know, basically it's just a simple process of breaking ground and, and building your house and it's everything else is kind of ready. So we've taken care of some of those details can be tough for out of town folks to get lined up if they just kind of come out of the blue and buy some land in the middle of nowhere. We try to clean out some of that underbrush for people so that they can kind of build, especially have the fiber optics. Um, you know, they can, they can build and then they can, if they're remote workers, they can kind of plug in right away and yeah. have the World Wide web at their fingertips. Um, even while they're out, you know, in a very rural, pristine area. Yeah. Josh, um, what are the negatives? You know, where, where would people get some buyer's remorse or some potholes, cautionary points for people considering? I mean, you've obviously been talking to folks. You've seen movements come and go. Some are good. Some have worked out very well. Some not so well. Give us a sense for what 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 what's the recipe for making this thing work? Yeah, the re- the. the the initial people who come out and start are like pioneers. They need to, now there, there's pros and cons to this, but the people who kick this thing off, they're going to get out there and they're going to come to a rural community where they don't know a lot of people when they get there. And if they're coming from a city, they're going to, maybe they're going to miss the having the Whole Foods or Trader Joe's down the street and the restaurants and those sorts of things. The initial wave of folks who buy into these communities are, um, they're pioneers, right? And so th- until we get the critical mass up and, and buy, you know, people are going to, people may feel lonely for the first couple of years while we kind of fill the community out. But, you know, with the traction we're seeing, I, I hope that's actually not going to be the case. We might very well get a lot of folks coming in very quickly. But but that's the, that's the it's both a challenge and an opportunity because, you know, it, you're, you are to a large degree moving into a blank slate community and it's going to become what you make of it. And so we really, we, we hope and pray and, and we're trying to attract the right sort of anchor families and pioneers who come to this area first um, and that end up kind of creating a character that lasts over the long term. I think, th- I think that's the biggest, the biggest downside, you know. Um, the, the other one that is a discussion point is um, proximity to a major city. I mean, we, we'll get the amenities up, but, you know, it's it's going to be 
you know, it'll be an hour uh, to a really big, you know, a large regional hospital where you get all the medical specialists that you'd want. It's going to be two hours and you have a couple different options, but two hours to get to an international airport. That might be a lot for some people. I'm, you know, I'm coming from Texas and there's all sorts of these sort of high-end rural developments that are two or three hours away from airports. Um, but depending on where you're coming from in the country, the, the distance to an international airport may be a relevant consideration. But that's, you know, th- those, are the, those are the challenges, but they're also sort of an inherent part of what can make it very attractive. This is why it's pristine, because it's, it's remote. And, you know, and yet at the same time, you are still two hours from Nashville, two hours from Louisville, two hours from Lexington. So you've got a lot of options for cities if you, if you want them. And probably the most important advice I can give anybody is pray, pray, pray for God's wisdom, pray for God's direction, not my will, but thine be done. Let's seek out God's wisdom in these major life decisions that we make. And man, now is the time to better understand the will of God and the direction that God has for our families and for our church communities. So I'll add that as well. Church communities there, Josh. Last question. I'm assuming there are some churches. Yeah, yeah, there there are some churches, and and uh, generally speaking, they um, you know they're they're sort of relatively typical rural area churches uh, at this stage. We are in discussions with a couple other folks who may potentially plant a church um, in in the communities that we're we're building um, because there will be a lot of new folks coming in, and and I think that given kind of the shows that we're talking about this on and, and the kinds of people that we're reaching, it's likely that most of the folks moving out to these areas are going to be Reformed Christians, uh, Presbyterians or Reformed Baptists. And so we, we're, we're in talks uh, with, with pastors who potentially come out and, and plant uh, new churches uh, to kind of serve the, the new families that would be coming in. So okay. more on that front, but obviously with, with those church planters, they want to sort of, they're watching sort of who's buying in and, uh, and what the population's going to look like as they consider whether they move their family and plant a church here. Food for thought on this edition of the program, friends. Uh, a, a data point. This is one data point that I think just needs to be in the cards. It needs to be something that we are all considering, chewing on. We need to seek God's will for each of our families. And uh, wow, great discussion today with Josh Abatoy from RidgeRunnerUSA.com. For more information, I'm guessing they can just go straight to RidgeRunnerUSA.com, right, Josh? Absolutely, yep. And if they're on Twitter, they can check us out at USA Ridge. Uh, that's at USA Ridge. Okay. Um, but uh, we've got all our info out there and good. good. Very active. People can reach out if they want to talk to us. Very good. Josh Abatoy on this edition of the program. Thanks, Josh. And you have been listening to the Generations Radio Broadcast. If you'd like to interact with the radio program, email me directly at host at kevinswanson.com. This is Kevin Swanson inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation. 